Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, I think we can all acknowledge that this is uh, a little strange. These are, uh, these are strange days, and I never uh, imagined that last Sunday when we, when we left here that we wouldn't be able to, to gather here this morning. And so, yeah, this is, this is a little strange, but thank God for the gift of technology and that uh, through uh, this medium we're able to at least uh, be connected here this morning as a, as a church family, and I think that's, that's important. Let's, let me give you a little kind of update before we begin uh, this morning. As you, as you know, uh, just following the advice and trying to be uh, good citizens, we have suspended our Sunday worship gatherings and we're uh, moving to an online format and this is a bit of a work in progress and we've uh, put something together rather um, rather quickly here and so we'll we'll work on this as as the weeks go on and so in also um, we're going to suspend our our midweek groups and events for for this coming week as we kind of regroup and get a handle on things and uh, we'll we'll have further updates about that our church office will be will be open uh, this week for normal hours, so you can pop by and say hello. And if we're here, we can help you in any way. Please, uh, please get in touch with us. And again, just be familiar with uh, you know all the Health Canada recommendations and guidelines, and uh, and I, I think we'll be I think we'll be fine. But yeah, these are these are strange days, and there's a lot of a lot of fear and. Uh, a lot of anxiety, and you know, in, in times like this, it often brings our anxieties to the surface, anxieties that maybe were there all, all the time, and they just brings them to the surface, and you've probably, you're probably feeling some of that. Uh, if you've been to a grocery store over the last couple of days, you, you've certainly uh, felt, felt some of that. Uh, we, we were here on Wednesday of this, uh, of this week uh, for a prayer gathering, and we began that prayer gathering by reading Psalm 121. And um, I want to read that to us this morning as we begin this, this online service. And as we gathered here at the church, um, we read this psalm together. And it's a psalm that I think points us to where our ultimate trust should be. It's a psalm that encourages us to put our trust in God despite circumstances. So it's Psalm 121. Let me read it for, for us um, today. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. And the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. and He will keep your life. And the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. It's a great psalm. And it's a psalm that was designed for people who are on a journey, on a, on a pilgrimage. 
And you get that sense here that, that the mountains here in this, in this psalm kind of pointed the psalmist to, to the great, our great creator God as, as the faithful source of help. And as the people of God made their own pilgrimage, this psalm would remind them that God was with them every step, protecting, guiding, and helping. And I think we can look to that psalm in this situation as well. Our our hope is in God. Our hope is in the gospel of God's grace. Our hope is in, and and our hope in God frees us to be to be the people of God during times of confusion and anxiety Uh, you know fear kind of paralyzes us but but our renewed hope in God frees us to to be the people of God it frees us to love our neighbors during this unsettling time Um, someone said this that love stands out strongest when it is least expected rarest but needed most. And so as we kind of enter into this strange season, this bit of an unknown season, I just want to encourage us to trust in God. Put our hope in God. Love our neighbors. And, and I'm kind of confident that God might be going to teach us some things as a church over this next season. In these coming weeks, you know, God might be about to teach us and give us some lessons and show us some new things about what it really means to be a people of God. So we're glad to be with you this morning. Uh, we're going we're gonna to sing together. Kevin and Esther are going to come now, and, and they're going to lead us in some singing and some worship, and we encourage you to just sing along with us. Uh, Jesse's going to come a little later on and, and share with us from, from God's Word. And uh, we're just uh, today, I think, hopefully we'll be encouraged, even as we're able to come together in this format. Let's be encouraged. Let's, let's put our trust in God. Let's commit ourselves to loving our neighbors and, and being the church. Can I pray for us? Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll uh, sing together. Lord, uh, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are God, you're, you're Lord, you're our helper. And even in this uh, uncertain time, we, we look to you. Uh, Lord, help us to not be afraid. Help us to turn our anxiety into expressions of prayer and praise to you. And I pray that your peace today would guard our hearts and minds. So, Lord, uh, we look to you for hope. We place our trust in you. And um, we just rest in the fact that you are in control. So we praise you and we thank you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, everyone. Just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, and to know the safe of
of Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the sheep of his pasture, the flock under his care. Jesus my Redeemer There is no more For heaven now to give He is my joy My righteousness and freedom My steadfast love 
my deep and boundless peace. To this I hope, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side, Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need His power is displayed. To this I hold, my Shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley. He will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. And he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hope my sin has been defeated. Jesus now. Christ in me, yet not I. 
possible environment to be doing any of this stuff in. 
I uh, wasn't expecting this when I set out to write my sermon earlier this week. Um, yeah, let me just encourage all of you who are listening. Uh, you may feel anxious about any number of different things, uh, one of those being the life of the church. Um, but like Pastor Russell was saying earlier, I, I think there's the potential for this to be a great opportunity for us to grow as a church. There's opportunities for mission here. I think we're going to discover some things about what it means to be the body of Christ, what it means to worship as the body of Christ, uh, maybe that we didn't know before, just by the experience of all of this uh, social distancing and all of that. So be encouraged. God is still at work. The church is still alive because it is indwelt by the Spirit of God. And uh, so there's, there's lots to be hopeful about. Um, so I, I hope you are encouraged. So um, we've, been, we've been doing this series about spiritual practices, the practices that shape our faith. And um, I had written a sermon all about our corporate practices of faith, what it means to worship together and this kind of thing, which is suddenly uh, feels like an odd message to do. Uh, feels odd to do a message, period. But So we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, the practices of faith today. And I want to start out with a little bit of a story. Uh, this is a bit of a silly story. So uh, a long time ago in the days of the Wild West, there was this guy, he was... Uh, like a bartender at a saloon. And he moved to this new town, and, and he, he takes over at this saloon. And the owner of the saloon said, this is a pretty simple job. You just you know, give people their drinks. But the one thing you got to know is if Big John is ever coming to town, if you hear Big John is on his way, you leave town immediately. You get on your horse, and you take off. And so he said, OK. And several months went by. It was uneventful. And then one day, the sheriff comes running into the saloon, and he says, Big John's coming to town. Everybody starts screaming. They leave their drinks on the table. They rush out the door. They get on their horses, and they gallop off. And the bartender suddenly realizes he doesn't have a horse. He can't just run off. So he decides he's going to lock the door of the saloon. He's going to hide behind the bar. He's going to see what happens. And he's looking out through the window, and in the empty street of the town, here comes this giant man, at least seven feet tall, and he's riding on the back of a grizzly bear. Like, this is an imposing figure. And he comes down the middle of the street, he gets off the back of the grizzly bear, he walks up to the saloon, rips the door right off the hinges, comes inside and says, bartender, give me a drink. The bartender is terrified. And so he, he hands this man up a bottle, with shaking hands, this giant man, he hands him a bottle, the guy bites the cap off and drinks the whole thing in one big gulp. And uh, so the bartender is just shaking in his boots. He says, uh, sir, would, would you like another drink? And he says, I don't have time for more drinks. I got to get out of town. Didn't you hear Big John is coming? He <laughs> runs off. If there was a whole group of people here, there would be laughter, I hope. Maybe you're laughing at home. Maybe there's not. Uh, so it's a bit of a silly story. I have a point to telling this story. So... The question is, what, what can you say about Big John from that story? All you know is his name, actually. But you can tell a lot about who Big John is based on the way people are acting when they hear about him, right? 
Big John is apparently pretty scary. Scary enough that a guy who rides on the grizzly bears doesn't want to be around when he comes into town. Big John is probably not a guy who comes to town once a week to buy groceries and is pretty friendly to people. He's probably really dangerous, scary, presumably big. We don't know. But you can tell a lot about, about this guy by the way people act around him. Um, and I want to say that the same thing is true about God in a way. So I've been reading this book by uh, this guy, Nicholas Wolterstorff. He's a philosopher, and he's got this book, The God We Worship. And what he says is that the way that we worship implies a lot of things about God. And he asks this interesting question. He says, what would God have to be like for us to work, for it to make sense to worship him in the way that we do? What would God have to be like? So it, taking the Big John story, what would Big John have to be like for this story about Big John to make sense? He would have to be pretty dangerous and scary. Otherwise, the story just makes no sense at all, right? Uh, so what would God have to be like? That's the question. And I want to talk today about how our spiritual practices, the practices of our faith, imply some things about God. And they start from some certain understandings about God. And really what I want to say is that the way that we practice our faith should be shaped by who God is. Uh, so we're going to get there. I want to tell you another story. So this is uh, from the Bible, 1 Kings uh, chapter 18. Um, this is a story about the prophet Elijah. So this is like 850 years before Jesus or so. And uh, what's happening in this story is that there has been a drought in the northern kingdom of Israel for like three years. And there's this king, King Ahab, and his queen Jezebel. Uh, they're the kings, and they're, they're maybe the king and queen, I mean. They're maybe fairly successful economically as far as kings go and this kind of thing. Uh, but, but they've got this big flaw in the biblical story, which is that they worship God, kind of, but they've also introduced worship of idols. They worship uh, Baal, which is a Canaanite god of, of weather and thunderstorms and this kind of thing. And, and so there's this prophet, Elijah, who is constantly harassing and criticizing Ahab and Jezebel for introducing the worship of Baal into, into the kingdom of Israel. And so what happens in this story in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah goes to Ahab and he says, let's have a contest. Let's set up two altars and try to offer sacrifices, one to Baal, and you bring all the prophets of Baal out and you offer a sacrifice. And I will offer a sacrifice to God, the God of Israel, and we'll see which God is real. We'll see who answers. And so they, they put on this contest. They get a whole bunch of people together and 450 prophets of Baal. And uh, so Elijah says, listen, there's more of you guys. You guys go first. So the, the prophets of Baal, they set up an altar. They pile up some stones. They put some wood on it. And they take a bull and they cut it up and they put it on there. And then the idea is they're supposed to ask Baal to answer them and to set the offering on fire, meaning he will have accepted the offering. That kind of makes sense if you think of Baal as a weather god, and, and there's, you know, he has the ability to send lightning bolts and this kind of thing. Surely he can do this, right? And so the prophets of Baal, it says they go from morning until noon, crying out loudly over and over again for Baal to answer them. And they start doing this wild dancing, and they're just screaming over and over. And at some point, Elijah says, well, 
maybe he's on vacation, maybe he hasn't heard you, maybe you've got to be a little bit louder, and he's kind of making fun of them, and this kind of thing. And, so, and then it says they go from noon until the evening time, crying out, and they get desperate, and it says they start cutting themselves with spears and swords, as is their normal custom of worship. So if we take this question, what would God have to be like for people to worship him this way? What could we say about Baal? What would Baal be like if people are worshiping him this way? What would Baal have to be like for this to make sense? One thing you might say is that Baal is, uh, maybe he is actually hard of hearing. Maybe he is unable to hear the people and he doesn't answer them. Or maybe you could say that, Baal is uninterested in listening. He's uninterested in responding, right? Maybe that's part of the answer. Maybe Baal is unable to respond because he's been restrained somehow. Um, Whatever the case, it seems like the people feel that they, they need to somehow cajole Baal into responding. If... The assumption is if they become desperate enough, if they do the right things, then Baal is going to have to respond to them and and accept their offering, right? So nothing happens, though. Baal does not answer. And so then Elijah says, well, let me take a turn now, and it's the evening. And so he, uh, he sets up an altar, and he puts 12 stones on it, one for each tribe of Israel. And then he, he puts the wood on, he puts the bull on, and then he, he covers the whole, off, the whole offering in just buckets and buckets of water, so it's totally waterlocked. And then he offers this very simple prayer. He says, uh, O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, hear my prayer, accept this offering, show the people that you are the God of Israel. Right? And that's it. So he's, he's one guy. He's not 450 guys. He doesn't have a dance routine. He doesn't cut himself with swords, and he's got this one really pretty simple prayer that he offers. What would God have to be like for that kind of prayer to make sense? I think you could say that God would have to be, one, able to hear, and he would have to be interested in listening to Elijah for that to make sense. And you would maybe have the assumption that God does not need to be cajoled into responding. Elijah doesn't seem to feel the same need as the prophets of Baal feel to coerce God into into responding somehow. And then if you add to that the fact that he is totally waterlogged, what is supposed to be a burnt offering, for this to make any sense at all, you'd have to believe that God has some kind of power, like God is able to burn a waterlogged offering. He's got power to operate in the world. And you know what happens in the end of the story, of course. Fire comes down from heaven. Elijah's offering is totally consumed, even the stones and the, and the moat of water that he's put around and all of this, it's totally consumed. God does respond. So one thing that I want you to keep in mind, there's a lot of things you could say from this story, but one thing we should keep in mind from this story for the sake of this message is that this story uh, implies and, and demonstrates that God is a God who hears. God is a God who hears. And that, that's an important thing to say about God. He hears his people. You could say any number of other senses, too. He sees his people, whatever. The point is that God is aware of what is happening in the world and with his people. That's kind of a big deal. Now, I want to tell you another story. 
Uh, this is from 1 Samuel chapter 1. So this is even before the time of Elijah. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, there is the story of Hannah. And Hannah uh, is this woman who wants desperately to have children, and she cannot. And people are ridiculing her for her inability to have children. And it's, it's this source of deep pain in Hannah's life. And so what you get in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1 is this scene where uh, she and, and her family, they have traveled to Shiloh, where the tabernacle was, and they, uh, for a festival, they've offered sacrifices and prayers. And, and on the last day that she's there, she goes into the tabernacle by herself, like after the festival, there's nobody really there. She goes in, and she is crying and praying, and she's muttering this prayer under her breath, asking the Lord to, to hear her to give her a child, and, and it's just this very, this very painful personal prayer that she offers. And the priest, Eli, he sees her praying, he sees her lips moving, but he can't hear anything, and he thinks she's drunk. He thinks, why is this woman in here at 9 o'clock in the morning or whatever by herself muttering this prayer? She must be drunk. And he goes over and he scolds her. He says, shame, shame on you for, for being drunk in the tabernacle. And she responds, no, sir, I am not drunk. I am pouring out my heart to the Lord. I am praying out of my deep pain. That's what she says to him. And he says, may the Lord hear your prayer. And she gets up and leaves. Now, here's the question. What would Hannah have to assume about God to pray in this way? To pray about this very personal thing, about her inability to have children, to pour out her heart before the Lord, to pray out of her deep pain and anguish. She would have to assume that God is concerned about her pain and her anguish, right? She'd have to assume that God is not only able to hear her, but that he's interested in hearing her. And one way we could say this is that she would have to assume that God is a God who not only hears but listens you know the difference between hearing and listening, right? Parents know this difference. Teachers know this difference. Everybody has the ability to hear, but we're not always necessarily listening. But Hannah's prayer shows that she believes God is able to listen, that he's interested in listening to her. Now, if you're thinking about this, you're thinking uh, the idea that the God who made the universe, who made us, would be interested in listening to us, that is deeply shocking, right? Because what have we done to deserve being listened to? We don't deserve to be listened to at all. Our, our prayers are probably not the best prayers they could be. Uh, we sing these songs to God, and we may not sing the songs the, quite the right way, and God chooses to listen. That's, that's an astonishing thing. So, coming back to Wolterstorff, he talks about this. He talks about how shocking it is that God chooses to listen to us, but that, indeed, he does. He is a God who listens. Uh, here's what he says. I'm at the wrong page. Here we go. He says, God is high and mighty, exalted above, above all the hosts of heaven, and we are creatures of the earth from dust and to dust. Yet God listens to us. For God to do so is to treat us as being worth listening to, 
to honor us, to pay us the honor of listening to us. As puny as we are, God does not regard it as being beneath his dignity to listen to us. Seen from God's side, God humbles himself. Seen from our side, God elevates us. God humbles himself. Now, we've been studying Philippians together as a church recently, and you remember in Philippians 2, Paul talks about make your attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, uh, and then he even humbles himself to the point of death on a cross. God humbles himself. That's, that's an astonishing thing. And God's act of listening to people is an act of humility. But, but I like what Walter Storff says. He says that God elevates us in the act of listening. So when we, when we say something to God, it becomes a place in which we, puny as we are, and God, majestic as he is, somehow meet. That's, that's an awe-inspiring thing. And that thought is really the thought that begins so many of our spiritual practices, right? We, uh, we pray, obviously. Praying makes no sense if we don't first believe that God is a God who listens. Uh, we sing songs to God, usually all together, but maybe you're singing at home alone in your pajamas right now. I don't know. We sing songs to God. Again, that would be a ridiculous thing to do if we didn't believe first that God is listening. Uh, but there's other things. We confess our sins to God. Right? Again, God listens. But this also shapes the way that we practice certain things. Um, for example, fasting is a Christian practice. Now, it would be tempting for us to think of fasting as a way to get God's attention and to get God to listen to us. But if we start first with the belief that God, because of his great kindness, has already chosen to listen to us, then fasting is not at all about getting his attention. Maybe it's about getting our attention, right? And, and the same kind of thinking could apply to a lot of different Christian disciplines. So I guess, I guess what I'd like you to think about is this idea that we pray, we sing songs, we confess, and we do so in such a pathetic kind of a way. We don't have the right words to pray often. We sing songs that we half remember the words to. Uh, we confess our sins, but maybe not in totality, right? But God transforms these somewhat pathetic acts on our part and chooses to listen anyway, chooses us to, chooses to meet anyway. That's an amazing thing and, and should give you great encouragement as you are during this season practicing new spiritual habits yourself. That should be a really encouraging thing. So what I'm thinking about is uh, we're in a time where maybe a lot of us are being self-quarantined. Maybe you are uh, at home and thinking, oh, I can't go to school, can't go to work, whatever. Uh, that's a little bit frustrating. But it's also a great opportunity to actually spend some time on some of the spiritual practices that we've been talking about. And what I want to encourage you to do is to be aware of how amazing it is that God has chosen 
to listen to you as you pray and this kind of thing. You might not know what you're doing when you pray. You might sing songs at home and think, it sounded a lot better when I sang with everybody at church, but you're singing at home in your own, your own voice, and God, for some reason, chooses to listen to that. That's pretty cool, right? Um, I'd like for us all to take a moment. Go ahead and close your eyes. Just be quiet. And I'm going to encourage you to, to think about how awesome a thing this is. So go ahead and close your eyes. And I want you to think about how amazing it is that the God who spoke the universe into being chooses to listen to you. Think about how amazing that is and how grateful you are for that. I want you to think about how amazing it is that God has made it possible for us to come into his presence through the work of Jesus, our high priest. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. So if you're still thinking maybe God doesn't, doesn't want to listen to me, uh, think about the work of Jesus and how incredible that is. And I want you to think about one more thing, to be encouraged by one more thing. Sometimes when we go to pray or sing or something, you may feel that you don't know what to say. And we've said before, you can pray through scripture or, or whatever. But I think, you know, think of Hannah pouring out her heart to the Lord out of her anguish and pain. I bet that wasn't a pretty prayer. I bet that wasn't uh, the kind of prayer that people write down in, in books and think how beautiful it is. Uh, you, you can read her prayer in 1 Samuel 1. But uh, in Romans 8, Paul writes that the Spirit joins us to help in our weakness because we don't know what to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches hearts knows the Spirit's mindset because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so in some sense, when you go through these bumbling prayers and sing these songs that you only half remember the lyrics to, I think you can say that the Spirit is praying in you even in that moment. And so not only has God chosen to listen to you and made it possible through the work of Jesus, but also God is speaking through you. That's an incredible thing, something to be thankful for. Thank you, God going to end with this. Uh, 
Say this out loud. I want to do the Lord's Prayer together, and I'm going to do the old school version with the these and thous and all of that, because that's what people know. If you know a different version, that's fine. Let's say it aloud, though, knowing that there are people all across the city sitting around in their pajamas saying this with you at this moment. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Usually we would say, go in peace. I guess you can stay where you are in peace. God bless.